0: And welcome on in here to the Keith Costas podcast on clavesonline.com. We are presented by Royal Banks of Missouri. I'm Joe Roderick in for the traveling. Bob Ramsey this week joined alongside by MLB Network's Keith Costas. What's going on, Keith? What's up, Joe? Apologies in advance if I call you Rammer, if I'm on autopilot here. Used to see in his face, but good to see you this week. (laughs) Same with with you. Excited to talk some baseball as we're winding down the first half of the MLB 2021 season. And as we sit here, I don't want to jinx ourselves before uh, we get to the All-Star break. But when you look at the plans that were in place for spring training and all of the ideas that were being floated out there about late start times and ideas to maybe counter COVID, we really haven't had that many cancellations or disruptions to the schedule outside of the, I guess, what was it, the Mets and Naps earlier in the season. Outside of that, it's been a pretty clean first half of the year.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring up the Nats. We were talking this morning on MLB Central about Josh Bell getting it going a little bit. And Ron Darling mentioned, you know, he got off to a slow start. He was one of those guys that had COVID and it almost slipped my mind. I mean, it felt like that almost kind of blended together with last year because like you said, it's been pretty smooth sailing for the last couple of months. There's even been news in the last couple of days that the Blue Jays are getting close to uh, requesting to get back into the Rogers center up in Toronto at the end of July uh, to be determined whether or not that's going to go through. But that seems like, you know, a long shot to happen this season. So, you know, if the Blue Jays are thinking about getting back to it in Canada, that probably tells you that things are going pretty well here south of the border where we've opened up a little sooner. So, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty smooth sailing. It's great to see people back in the park. And uh, and like I said, it's almost an afterthought. I mean, you're obviously aware that it's a little bit different, but compared to last year, stopping and starting, all
0: the up and down, yeah, it's been a pretty, a pretty pleasant surprise that it's gone as well as it has, I think. As far as the Blue Jays go, I do wonder how much of that request goes into the Montreal Canadiens in the NHL right now hosting Stanley Cup games. And them having to travel down into the U.S. for not only the conference finals, but now the Stanley Cup. So you're seeing teams, you're seeing American teams crossing the border for that, which kind of probably helps the Blue Jays' argument to to allow that back in place. Now the Rogers Center will probably not be that close to capacity if that does happen, but still to get them back home will be a huge boost. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point about the hockey. And you think about the way the Blue Jays are constructed. I
1: mean, people in the park are not, that's one of the loudest stadiums that I've ever been to when there are people there, but even you take that part of the equation out, it's just a good place to hit getting back in their familiar surroundings. And obviously that's a pretty potent offensive team. So yeah, a lot of intrigue in the East, too. I mean, with everything going on with the Red Sox being back in the mix, the Yankees kind of down, the Rays are always relevant, and the Blue Jays in the thick of things, too. So getting them back in their home ballpark, even if it's a smaller crowd, would be great for their fans to be able to see them kind of back relevant for the first time in four or five years since they made those back-to-back LCS appearances.
0: You know, It's funny you bring up the Yankees because it does seem, from an outsider standpoint, being on the inside here in St. Louis and seeing the struggles with the Cardinals and trying to figure out... What exactly is wrong with them this year? You look at the Yankees, and it does seem like they're in a similar situation because they have the pieces there to be a very successful team. Nothing is clicking yet. And right now, Araldis Chapman seems to be broken. Yeah,
1: Chapman has been in some kind of way recently. We had their game on Friday night. Coming into that game, I think it had been four straight appearances, maybe five straight appearances he had multiple runners on base, given up a ton of home runs. He got saved. I don't know if you remember, maybe 10 days ago, he, uh, he loaded the bases, and the Yankees turned one of their 600 triple plays of the season to get him out of that jam. So, yeah, Chapman's been all over the place. And, you know, you're right. They are similar to the Cardinals, especially in that going into the season, much like the Cardinals, a lot of people thought the Cardinals would need more starting pitching depth. The same thing was being said about the Yankees, and they rolled the dice big time, having Corey Kluber coming into the years, their number two starter. He started to round into form in may obviously had the no hitter and you know he he was going good and then he got hurt and now that they're left with the rotation that's really nothing behind cole who oh by the way is obviously at the center of all the sticky stuff discussion the last couple weeks and the results have not been good for him over the last six eight weeks or so so yeah the yankees are you know they're in kind of a tough spot with their rotation then you look at the offense they're just so right-handed i mean even a casual baseball fan knows that in yankee stadium it's it's probably a good idea to have some left-handed power hitters. And there were obviously some guys out there. You look at what Kyle Schwarber's doing, you know, Jock Peterson, those those kind of classes that we talked about a lot in St. Louis is, are the Cardinals going to bring in some of these guys that got non-tendered in the outfield? They, they were there for the Yankees too. They could have used that help. They ended up trading Mike Talkman earlier in the year, another left-handed bat. I know his numbers aren't great in San Francisco, but he's a guy who might have fit a little better sticking around there in the Bronx. They basically had to decide between Brett Gardner, the longtime Yankee who they weren't going to release. It was kind of curious that they brought him back in the first place, but they basically had to choose Gardner over Talkman. So, yeah, a lot of right-handers in that Yankee lineup and them being where they are in the standings, even given the issues that we know they had going into the year is one of the bigger surprises to me. I'd say the three biggest surprises in terms of where they are in the standings would be the Yankees, the Cardinals, and then on the positive side, the Giants. And, you know, by default, where the Padres, fall, Padres and Dodgers fall after them. So, to me, there's kind of a big team that's been surprising,
0: too bad, too one good in each region of the country so far. That The Giants, uh, I think, is as people look at the standings, and it's happened, I know it's been going on for me for two months now. You look at the stand in the NL West, and especially yeah. when you see that, when you've seen the hype around the Padres-Dodgers series, you would think they were just going back and forth, throwing punches and, and swapping spots in one-two in the standings in the NL West. But the Giants have been on top of the NL West all season, and now the the Cardinals come into town, and locally we've been we we're getting a chance to see them this week. And what makes that team so good, Keith? Yeah, well, I mean, I know the Cardinals obviously turned things around late in the game last night. Recording
1: this on Tuesday, the the Monday game um, against Gossman, who took a no hitter through the sixth. But there's your answer right there. I mean, guys like Kevin Gossman stepping up. His his numbers are basically he had a few clunkers early in the year, but we had Degrom maybe two three weeks ago. And at that point we had a graphic on our broadcast the last 10 starts de and gossman were literally indistinguishable from one another the numbers were identical over a 10-star period down to like a tenth of a run in the era opponent's batting average is exactly the same so they've got a legitimate ace who if it wasn't for jacob Degrom, would be in the cy young rating at the top of that rotation and then the rest of the rotation has been solid too the bullpen's been good they've got pitching up and down and obviously for the casual fan, you look at that roster and it's a lot of the names that you saw battling with the Cardinals in the first half of the 2010s. You know, Brandon Crawford is back to being an all-star for the first time in a while. Uh, Bunch of Posey's having a great year. Belt was having a solid year earlier. He's dealt with some injuries, but they're just getting timely hitting up and down that lineup and playing in that park. They've held teams to low run totals and had good pitching all year long. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the idea that going into last night, the Dodgers had won nine games in a row and still can't get over the hump to get in the first place I mean it's kind of unbelievable and you said it you look at that record you know that the Giants have been in first place but it's still hard to believe that they are where they are in terms of the record by the way the record doesn't look that much different from the Brewers after their recent surge so I would count that as a surprise too I thought the Cardinals and Brewers would be tight in the standings throughout the year but obviously Milwaukee's distinguished themselves here recently.
0: Yeah, Gaussman 8-3 and three with a 1-7 ERA on the season. I yep. know they, they mentioned during the Cardinal radio broadcast the other day that he's scheduled to start on Sunday, which would knock him out of the All-Star game. But as you look at kind of the rotations and the way they're set up around baseball, are, are you expecting DeGrom to start for the NL? Is, I, I haven't seen where how that, uh, how that rotation works out. In yeah, really. well, well, he's in the same boat. He's supposed
1: is to start he? on Sunday and he's been nicked up a couple times this year. So he's already come out and set, basically ruled himself out for even an inning. He's definitely not going to start the game, but he said he is not going to pitch in the game just because of the way his first half's gone. And like you said, the way the, the rotations fall with him going on Sunday, which is obviously a huge disappointment because to me, I mean, it's the All-Star game. There's going to be a ton of good, talented pitchers. It may be some new faces compared to to years past, but there's still plenty of recognizable names, but you still want to circle especially when a guy's having a season like this. like You want to see DeGrom face Otani. You want to see DeGrom, you know, go up against AL's best, Vlaigura Jr., whoever it might be, take your pick. But not having DeGrom in the game, while it's totally understandable, if I was a Mets fan, I would get it. You know, he's already had some short starts this year and had to be skipped a couple times in the rotation, had a couple scares, so why push it if he's going to pitch on Sunday? But from an outsider's perspective, a casual fan perspective, anybody cheering for the other 29 teams, that's a real bummer to not have him in the game.
0: So who do you uh, who do you think starts in the uh, in the game next week? I mean, I guess you could go with you could go with one of the Brewers guys, or
1: you know, I, I actually you you're educating me on Gosman. I'm educating you on Degrom. I didn't realize Gosman was lined up to go on Sunday. He'd be the easy choice to me to slide into that spot. But yeah, I don't know. They've got a, they've got a multitude of options. There's even some guys that aren't on the team that could be in contention for that spot. I mean, you think about guys like Max Scherzer and Freddie Peralta not even being on the roster, Clay Kershaw not being on the roster. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they could go in that game. I think the AL maybe is a little bit easier to predict. I think you go Carlos Rodon over there. I mean, they've got other options as well, but I think Rodon goes for
0: the AL and to be determined for the NL. And it's, it's funny because Joe Madden came out, who, who, as far as I know, is not managing the American League team in the uh, in the All-Star game. I don't recall right. the Angels making it to the World Series last year. Uh, but, but he came out and said that Shohei Itani is going to pitch an inning in this yeah, game, man. which would make him the first player ever. He's already voted in as the DH, but he's also now going to pitch in that game, which, I mean, I guess you're going to have to kind of mess with the rules of baseball a little bit with how that's going to work when he comes in to pitch as the as the DH but it it's going to be a really cool moment not only just everything that Shohei Atani is doing that week it's very fitting that this is this is kind of the year of Shohei and and he's going to be on the big stage uh next Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, no you said it Monday
1: too. Don't underestimate coming back to play in the all-star game, pitching the all-star game after taking God knows how many swings the night before at altitude in Denver. But Otani seems like he's all in on it. You know, he's been part of all-star games and home run derbies before in Japan. So he kind of knows what he's getting into. I don't think they played any of those all-star games outdoors a mile above sea level over in Japan, but that's what they're going to be doing in Denver next week. But yeah, he's on board with it. Kevin Cash, Joe Madden's former understudy, who is actually managing the team this year in the all-star game. He's on board with it. So I guess we're going to see Otani, in, uh, in his full otani on both Monday and Tuesday night. And I think if you had to pick, that's got to be the top attraction of yeah. the entire week. Um, it would have been great to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. come back and be in that home run derby too. I think he might have more of a, a twin billing at the top of that home run derby, given what Vlad did a couple years ago when he lost out to Pete Alonzo, but hit about a billion homers throughout the three rounds of the thing. If it was the two of them, you might have more of a head-to-head big ticket matchup, but I think Otani's the, uh, going to carry the day on both Monday and Tuesday in terms of anticipation.
0: I, I, I don't know about you. I don't know how excited you get about getting to go places and see players in person. Mm-hmm. But for a while, I, I have my sports bucket list of athletes. I want to see in, in person. And it's been two, three years since I've had somebody on that list. It was LeBron getting to see LeBron play basketball in person. I've, I mean, getting to see Otani in person next week is going to be a huge thrill for me personally. Um, just take out the you know professional and work side of things, just to get to see him in person and see that ball come off his bat and the sound that it makes when you're in the stadium is going to be really cool. And it, it kind of does, you know, if, if I get on a soapbox here for a second about the way that interleague play is worked out, that fans are kind of robbed from that around the league of getting to see that each and every year. Yeah, I'm with you. I haven't seen Otani in person and he'd be on my bucket list too. And
1: you talk to people who have seen him and everyone says, I mean, obviously you can watch him play and you can get an idea of what you might see in terms of talent and a unique blend of the two-way player that you don't see anywhere else. But everyone says that when you get around him for the first time or see him up close, no matter if you're in the top row or right next to him, you can't believe how big this guy is. Like I don't think how people understand what a physical Specimen it, he is, so I like your comparison to LeBron in that sense who, Oh, by the way, I'm going to make sure I'm on time on Monday for Otani because the first time I ever went to see LeBron play, had a little trouble with the parking. Got there about four minutes left in the first quarter. He had 28 by that oh, point, so God. missed a little bit of the show. So make sure uh, <laughs> if you happen to be going out there to Denver, don't do what I did with LeBron with Otani. Make sure you're in your seat in plenty of time on Monday night.
0: Also, too, the way the ball comes off the bat. If you have outfield seats uh, for mm-hmm. that, bring a glove. Because yeah. in Cleveland, I wandered around during the Home Run Derby and found myself in the outfield, and I quickly realized I needed to get out of there because the balls were coming in so fast. <laughs> yeah, glove, helmet, cup, all of the above. I'm <laughs> protected. So uh, next week we will be uh, we'll be in Denver, and I don't know if time will allow us to do a podcast while we are there. So I'll ask you right now, uh, what number All Star Game is this for you? Mm, let's see. I started working LB Network at
1: 2011. And I think the first time I worked on one was 2013. So no All Star Game in 2020. Uh, so what would that put me at? Uh, eight, eight, I guess as a as a professional in my own career. And then I've tagged along a couple times growing up too, uh when the games were on NBC with my dad when I was a young kid. Went to Philly and Pittsburgh in the mid 90s. Um, so I had a couple under my under my belt as a fan. And when it was in St Louis too. So. I guess I'm up over 10 total, and this will be the eighth for me working the event.
0: So as you work the events and you go to that, what are some of the, uh, I guess, what is your favorite event of that week to cover?
1: Yeah, well, we're involved, what I do uh, for my job on All-Star Weekend. Obviously, we have on MLB Network studio shows, Wall to Wall, so we'll have a presence out there. But what I'm directly involved in is more of the game production stuff. So that's Futures Game on Sunday for us, which is available To everybody in the us that's where the games carried on mlb network so everyone will be able to watch that and then on tuesday what i work on is the mlb international broadcast which is essentially a world feed so english-speaking countries will get what we're doing but the rest of the world will also take just our pictures and our video feed and use their own announcers over it so i will be covering the all-star game if you're inside the united states you won't be able to see our broadcast but it's still a great time to get to put that production together and get it out to the rest of the world there's a little uh it's a little less crowded of a broadcast because you don't have all the promotional stuff because it's going to all kinds of different companies that are doing their own commercial stuff so it's a little bit a uh, little more room to breathe than the normal broadcast which i think is nice for the announcers they enjoy that getting to getting to talk a little bit more and be a little bit more conversational and not having to worry about all the mechanics and getting all the sales elements and then everything so that's fun a uh, little behind the scenes industry talk there on tuesday night a different way of doing it but. Yeah, I think uh, the futures game for me is kind of my favorite because that's the one that we get to cover. where We're front and center, and you can only get it there, and you get to really lock in on those prospects. Ramer and I talked about it last week, uh, and you know, seeing Alex Reyes that kind of thing back in 2015, seeing him start the game in San Diego, awesome. Six years later, to see him in the actual All Star game, especially when you think about some of the guys that were they were with him back in 2015. You know, it was Judge, it was Trevor Story, it was Trey Turner, it was Devers, it was all these guys that have gone on to establish themselves as stars. So given what Reyes has dealt with, it's nice to see him kind of catch back up to those guys and, uh, and be in this game on Tuesday night.
0: Now that the rosters are out for the futures game, is there one name on that list that jumps out at you? I mean, we, we know we've lost Wander Franco to, uh, right. to the big leagues and that, and I, I don't think we'll see anybody else leave that roster this week. So who's, who's your top guy?
1: Yeah, I mean it's kind of a cop out. I'm just going to the second guy right after Wander Franco, but Adley Rutschman with the Baltimore Orioles, who is the number two prospect in baseball behind Wander Franco. And I think you take Wander Franco out of the mix and you put Adley Rutschman in the pool. In almost any other year, he's going to be at the top of the. Year. He's he's a one-one slam dunk top end prospect type of guy. Huge plate discipline, power, switch hitter. You know, kind of like a supercharged version of what they had. 10-15 years ago when Matt Wieters, who was also a really high-profile switch hitting catcher, that came up with the Orioles. So I'm excited to see Rutchman. I'm obviously excited to see the Cardinals guys and Gorman and Liberator. But yeah, getting a chance to to take a look at Adley Rutschman. You know, He played at Oregon State, and some of his Oregon State teammates are already in the major leagues. Nick Madrigal with the White Sox, a couple other guys around the league. So the Orioles are in a little bit more of a rebuild mode, obviously, and not exactly rushing to get him to the big leagues. So it'll be nice to see him on a big league field and especially in Colorado, you know, that kind of, that's kind of the supercharger for everybody here. You get to see somebody hit that you might not get to see on a regular basis. It'll be fun to, fun to see him get a little boost from the venue too.
0: Well, we look forward uh, to uh, seeing that game. You guys uh, covering that at the MLB network on Sunday and all of the festivities next week in Denver, Colorado. Keith, thank you so much for your time. I will see you, uh, I guess Sunday. I'm guessing at some point, So I look forward to catching up with you in person uh, outside of just doing these Zoom calls that you and I have been doing for the past several months. Absolutely. Denver,
1: the Sunshine State, in the words of Will Ferrell.
0: (laughs) He's Keith Costas. I'm Joe Roderick filling in for Bob Ramsey right here on the Keith Costas podcast presented by Royal Banks of Missouri here on Online.